This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Standing by for Jim Lights, who's the, uh, the chairman of the Dallas Stars. Now, back in the summer of 1985, although I would imagine the negotiations, the conversations would have begun much earlier, perhaps, when they drafted Peter Klima in 1983 um, for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Jim Lights and Nick Polano were the two point people on uh, helping Peter Klima defect um, from the Czech team and brought him over to North America to play with the Detroit Red Wings. Now, previous to that, and I've talked plenty, I know, on this program about Vaslav Nedimansky, who was the pioneer and was the first um, Czechoslovakian player to defect along with Richard Farda um, to the Toronto Toros of the then WHA. Now, there were other Czech-born players uh, who did defect. Um, a couple of them, we think of like Yuri Bubla, for example, who ended up with the Vancouver Canucks. But Peter Klima became the first Czechoslovakian player uh, to defect and go directly to an American-based NHL team. And getting him out was anything but easy. And one of the two-point people, along with Nick Polano, uh, who got him out and, and is here to, to tell the story as the chairman of the Dallas Stars. Uh, please welcome to the program, Jim Lights. Jim, it's Jeff Merrick here. How are you? Thanks so much for doing this. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. So sad news yesterday, the passing of, of Peter Klima um, at the age of 58. I think everybody was um, su- surprised, and we certainly offer our condolences uh, to the friends and the family, uh, and certainly you know, the, the twins and his daughter, uh, as well, um, I mean, and now the stories start coming out about Peter Kleeman, our chance to reminisce, and you know, Ken Dryden would always talk about how hockey's the best and most vibrant when you're in your teenage years, and you know, I can still recall the story of you know the Detroit Red Wings and you know, led by you and Nick Polano, uh, getting Peter Klima out, uh, you know, and away from the national team and and into the, the the Detroit Red Wings organization. This is a pretty wide sweeping question to open up, but um, how did you do it? Like, I don't even know where to begin on this one was uh is it the conversations <laughs> around the draft in 83 at what point was he on your radar like when did this all start to come together uh well almost immediately after we drafted him um we uh the first step in the process jeff um we mike illich was our owner in detroit and was an unbelievably yep. competitive guy mike basically said you do whatever you need to do to to whatever resources you need to get this accomplished let's get it accomplished i want players so we, right off the bat, at the time, people don't remember this, but the, the Czech National uh, Hockey Federation used to sell veteran players to NHL teams. Yep. So we got in that queue and bought, in the summer of 1984, we bought uh, the rights to two players. Jeez, um, uh, what were their names? Uh, Frank Chernik and um, Miroslav, and the names escaping me. They were, they were pretty unheralded guys. And I think they told us they were 32 and they were probably 52. Um, and they played <laughs> for us for one season. But it gave us an opportunity to go to Prague yeah. and to make contacts there. And we, we uh, took an interpreter with us from Detroit um, who, was, who had walked out of the uh, – when the border opened in 67 before the Russians shut it down um, – you know, he had, he had, he had left and defected and came to the U S and we took him with us and it gave us an opportunity to kind of get the lay of the land in Prague. And I had never been behind the Aaron Kern before. And Nick and I went and we spent time with them and we purchased these two players who played for the Red Wings in that 80, I guess it would be the 84, 85 season. 
And while we were there, we were able to make contact with Peter. Uh, And, um, you know, it was a different time then. I got the Russians. I was involved heavily in getting the Russians out in the early 90s. And that was much easier than than communicating and and getting getting a Czech player out in 1985. It was still full-on Brezhnev, no perestroika. No, you know, the, uh, a Russian player didn't even consider the possibility of leaving. But the Czechs were a little different. You know, the Czechs hated the Russians, uh, and, it was, and it was, but it was Czechoslovakia then. So it was two different cultures. Long story. Uh, we were able to make contact with Peter and told him the following summer, uh, you know, flash forward a year, we would be very interested in communicating with him and, and getting a chance to talk to him. And we may, were able, our, our interpreter was able to, you know, exchange phone numbers and find a way to communicate with them on our behalf. And, you know, so the next season rolled around and it became summer. And then we noticed, you know, that for the first time ever, the Czech national team was going to train in West Germany outside of, uh, outside of the Iron Curtain. And, you know, we took full advantage of that. So Nick and I flew over with our interpreter and we really only intended, we had no, can I be honest with you, Jeff? Like we didn't have a plan. We just wanted to make, I, I took clothes for three days. Um, I ended up being gone yeah. for five weeks. Um, we, uh, but on the second, uh, first day we were there, we, we ran into um, a couple of guys who were just kind of hanging around the arena in Rosenheim, West Germany, which is down near Munich, where the Czech national team was staying. And these guys came to us and said, you want to make contact with a player? Who are you? Et cetera. They were smugglers. And they made contact with us. Nick and I were just kind of a couple guys there checking things out. And they basically said, we can get you a meeting with Peter uh, later that evening. And about midnight, I understand we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, Nick and I were able to meet with these two guys, plus our interpreter, plus Peter, who had snuck out of the kind of a hostel where they were staying, right? They were staying in a community. out, And, and when I say middle of nowhere, I'm talking middle of nowhere, like a little town with about, you know, 50 houses uh news door I, I was told i was told by the by the way jim i was told that this that this meeting i know correct me if i'm wrong i really hope it's true because i really want it to be true because it adds another layer to this i was told this meeting was in a forest is that true yeah i was in the woods yeah across a little path <laughs> we had to walk down and it was dead dark and it was middle of the night i mean it was literally after midnight and you and understand yeah. you know I'm a lawyer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm an executive. I'm, I'm hardly a CIA guy. Okay. You know, but, but it was yeah. just common sense. This is what we were doing. And it, at that first meeting, and this would be a, like a Friday night, Peter said, well, I'll leave the moment I find out that my girlfriend um, is, uh, is safe and is away from home. Cause the big fear was, you know, he would jump and then his family and other people yeah. important to him would be punished. So uh, we shook hands. Uh, we go. Re- we gave him a contract, um, and you know, it was we told him it's it's the same contract Steve Eiserman has. You you know, he's our star, uh, one of the best young players in the game. And I remember we just kind of used his. We used Eiserman's contract as a template. Uh, understand the kid speaks no English. I speak no Czech. Nick didn't speak any Czech. We're relying on other people, other Czech guys talk, doing the talking. And you know, basically, you know, we had the. Uh, four corners of a deal. We agreed to meet Sunday, the, two days later, um, and uh, the the smuggler guys said to us, 
well, we'll meet you in Munich at your hotel because this place is about, I don't know, 40, 50 kilometers outside of the city. So we drove back, drove back that night, very excited. We're gonna, we got a, got a shot at getting Klima out. And uh, we met the next day at our hotel in Munich with these two smugglers, and we had to cut a deal with them, meaning we had to make arrangements to pay them both for Peter's defection yeah. and, to get, and, and to get the girlfriend out of Prague. And we had to rely on them to do that. Um, so we, Nick and I kind of made the arrangements, uh, called home, told Mr. Rillis what we were doing, how, how it was going, and still didn't really necessarily believe it was going to happen. Uh, and, you know, the next afternoon we met again with the smugglers now back in Newsdorf. We moved out of our hotel, upgraded our car from the Opel to a Mercedes because we thought we would have to get out of there in a hurry. And understand there's, 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 there are armed guards traveling with the Czech national team. There are guys with guns. Um, and they're pretty, mm-hmm. you know, because if you'd ever been behind the Iron Curtain in a city like Prague, there was police on every corner. I mean, you know, they were just, you know, it was a communist state, and they were they they had you locked down pretty good. So anyway, um, we uh, at that point, you know, we hung around all Sunday, moved to this little town, got ourselves a hotel room in case it fell apart, and met at again uh, with the smugglers, and they gave us the plan. They wanted me to go in. They were they were playing an exhibition game that evening in, at the arena in Rosenheim. They were going to come back after the game and have a dinner. Peter would walk into the into the uh, into the restaurant, make eye contact with me, and then we would go to the rendezvous point where we had met before, and Peter would meet us there. And um, I mean that was the plan. So I'm kind of, Nick and I are kind of waiting around outside this little restaurant. Uh, they had, it was set up, had a few people at the bar and then there was a big dining room and the dining room had one big table for the Czech national team. And they came in, Peter nodded at me as he walked, uh, walked by. I, uh, walked back to Nick, got in the car, drove to the rendezvous point, And we literally waited in, waited there in the woods. And all of a sudden Peter and the smugglers came, uh, and asked us, to renegotiate the contract, they wanted an extra $50,000 a year, which was a lot of money at the time. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I'm, so, I'm sitting there so scared. You know, the automatic answer was absolutely yes. Done. Um, and then, which was really crazy, they decided that smugglers were leaving. Peter was going to get in the car with us. Peter said, no, I have to go back to the hostel. And this was all taking place in 10 minutes. Which was, you know, now, in the, you know, we're in, the, we're in the woods in this little area. Car's about a you know, yeah. 30 yards away. Uh, Peter decides he's got to go back to the place to get his things. And I be, and I remember telling him uh, through the interpreter, we'll buy you whatever you need. Get in the car. We're going. And he said, no, I got to go. And the reason, and he comes back, and it was the longest 10 minutes of my life, 15 minutes. I mean, it was all of a sudden there was a knock on the door. Uh, we popped the trunk. Peter threw his bag in there, and it was literally like a a pillowcase with stuff in it. And what he wanted to go back for were pictures of his girlfriend. And that's the story. Got in the car and we drove very slowly past uh, the car running in front of the bus at the, at the restaurant. There was no motion. We drove uh, about seven hours straight and ended up in uh, as far. We knew we had to end up in Frankfurt, which is where the U S uh, consulate was to get, because he had no passport, right? They took his passport. So he had to, he, the only way he could get into the country was to seek asylum. And that process was lengthy. 
But anyway, we got out of there as fast as we could, drove all night long. I remember calling Mr. Illich in the morning uh, from Stuttgart and saying, you know, the boy's with us. We got him. And he's going, now what? I said, I don't know. <laughs> That's for <laughs> you. You know, I, I have a uh, human I being. Uh, I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> said, Look, I'll work, I'll work on it. Call me back and, you know, uh, when you get where you're going. Yeah. Uh, you know, call me back in six hours. And it was one of those things where, and he ended up using political connections in Detroit um, to make connections to the Republican Party. Cause it, was in, it was during the Reagan administration. And seeking asylum right. from, a for, from a communist country at that time was a very tricky process, and it took five weeks. Nick and I literally, and, and the interpreter, were there for five weeks with the boy, and, and, uh, four of us, and really just the interpreter and the boy hung out because we couldn't even communicate with them. Yeah. Um, and that was my, my month with uh, Peter Kalima. Is, <laughs> so. so is it the, – the, the other part of the, the story is, is when you were in, in Frankfurt – um, that I was told was uh, Peter, who I don't think, as, a, a, along with not having the passport, which is confiscated, um, I was told he didn't have a driver's license, but he smashed he, he the Mercedes not. driving. Yeah, he totaled, is, is that he, totaled the Mer- he totaled the Mercedes. Here's the good news. Uh, <laughs> you know how you when you rent a car, you know, typically you don't get the insurance, right? Because you're usually covered under your homeowner's yeah. policy, unless you're in a foreign country. So we got the insurance. And I literally, we, we, Nick and I were gone during the day. We come back, Peter and the, and the, and the interpreter there. And the interpreter was a delightful guy. And he said, uh, Jim, bad news. I go, what's that? He goes, Peter totaled the car. He rolled it. I said, were you in it? He said, yes. But he was going too fast, tried to take a curve, and turned it over, yeah. rolled it over like twice. But they had their seatbelts on. So, but nobody was hurt. But the car was a mess. They had yeah. And I understand this is pre-cell phones. This is nothing. So literally the next day I had to drive. I had the address of where the car was. I had to go over to the Pertz rental store, hand them the keys and say the cars. uh, I rolled the car. It's um, it's it's at this location. uh, But I have the I have the collision insurance (laughs) and I handed it back to her. And she looked at me and she said, you wrote you tore in a really stern German accent said in English. Um, you totaled yeah. a, a, a 500 Mercedes, and it was brand new. It was a beautiful car. Oh. Um, but that was Peter. Oh, you know, no. he was. Oh yeah, yeah. he was. A, so, he was a bit of a mess. <laughs> you know, like you know, it's well, well documented. Uh, but a very courageous guy. Sure. I mean, to to do that when you're 18 or 19 yeah. years old. He was 19. To do that at 19 years old. Yeah. And his and his wife, you know, his girlfriend, who became his wife and the mother of his children, was even more courageous. I mean, she had to. We well, that, and and, and yeah. what, the month we were gone, then we had to make the arrangements to get her because they had gotten her that first day. They had made a call back into into uh, Prague and had gotten her moved from Prague to Budapest in Hungary because I guess you could travel. There were there were inter uh, rail passes where if you were a citizen, you couldn't get outside of the Iron Curtain, but you could get outside of you could leave the city you're in to go to a different country. And so they got her to a safe house uh, in Budapest, and Peter was okay with that. Um, and then, but then he got really antsy because he wanted to he wanted to see the girl before he left to come to the U.S. And we didn't know if it was going to take a week or a month or four months. Yeah. So you know, you, they just don't tell you. They just said come every morning. We we would make an appointment. So Monday through Friday, every day, every weekday, we would go to the U.S. consulate in Frankfurt and. 
they would, we got to know the guys there really well, uh, the counselor officers, and they would just say, no, no news, Jim, Nick, <laughs> come back tomorrow. And so that, and that's how it went until they said, yeah, you're good tomorrow. Um, but anyway, so, so you know, me, we were through that process, but I had to get the, we had to then go get the girl out. We had to, we had to smuggle okay. a girl. So let, can we, can we, can we, can yeah. we pause on Irina there for a second? Cause so th- this sure. is the girlfriend, then, then wife, the story that right. I was told. Okay. So I'm one for one. So I, I got the Mercedes stories. Good. I got the, uh, the, all this is taking place in the forest out in the woods. Good. Okay. So I'm going to try for the hat trick here. The other thing that I was told about the girlfriend, Irina, who later became his wife and the mother of his children, is that she was transported to Hungary by Japanese diplomats in the trunk of the car. That no, true? that's not right. No, she was she was trans. She rode with the smugglers or their relatives, people that they knew okay. from Budapest to Hungary. They smuggled her. I'm sorry, from from uh, Prague to Budapest. Um. And that was done immediately. That was done before Peter left. She was already in Budapest. Now they, we were paying, okay. so we had to pay them for getting that done. So we paid them for Peter. We paid them for Arena, and but then Arena and Peter were talking all the time, and Peter wanted Arena out of Hungary and into the West. So now we had to again pay to get Arena out. And the only way to do that, because she had no papers either, was for them to smuggle her out of the country. And uh, so Nick and I drive to the, to, in, from Frankfurt, which is a hall, all the way down to the Austria-Hungary uh, uh, border and wait. And it was a process, right? So we drove. You know, we had to call. Because you remember, there's no cell phones, you guys. It's a different time. So yeah. we had to uh, we had to call a number and decide where to meet, and we meet at this place. It was like a, a roadside, you know, pull off park. Uh, wasn't even really a park; it was just kind of a pull off area. Um, and we waited for them, and they show up in a in a big car. Um, I don't know, some kind of sedan. And turns out it was a Portuguese embassy staff car, but it had a smuggling compartment in it. Um, and, but they didn't bring her, but they didn't bring her over. They had left her on the other side because they wanted to make sure we had the money. So you can imagine. So Nick and I have to show them a suitcase full of cash, $30,000 us, um, that Mr. Olich had wired. They had to see the money. And we, we said, we wanted to see a picture of the girl. So Peter had given us a picture of Verena. And they took a picture of Marina and showed us the picture in the same picture. And it, she had a she had a birthmark on her I don't know, so, somewhere on her cheek. Uh, and you know, pretty, very pretty girl, but she's like 17 years old. She's a kid. Um, anyway, so that's it. And they were very, very businesslike. And they 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 left. They drove. They come back an hour later. They drove back across the border, and then drove back across the border with her in the car. And she crawled out of it too. They all popped the trunk, and she crawled out of a out of a box. Honestly, God, it would look like, you know, what Houdini would get into, right? I mean, just could, had to contort herself into this little box in the trunk of this car. And the poor thing is, and the poor thing is, is seriously a hundred pounds. And, yeah. And you know, it's just, uh, it just uh, you know, with that, and that's the story. Um, 
And then, and then we reunited that, them together. And a week later, Peter got out, and now we had to we had to make arrangements for her to stay in West Germany with a family there. Well, because Peter had to leave and go with us. Because once he got told, yes, you got to right. go. Uh, and and then eventually, you know, without telling people we committed a felony, he, he was going to leave because he was so homesick for her um, that we had to, these guys. I didn't do it. They did. They smuggled her into the U.S. And then when we got her cleared, she had. they had to smuggle her back so I could go to her her immigration hearing in her immigration hearing in Frankfurt. Does that make sense? So sometime about it three does. weeks this before. Is on, uh, yeah. The, the, see, the, this is, the, this is such a wild, like I, I've always been impressed at the, uh, the, uh, the me and Lou story about getting Alex McGillney out. Like that is a, a harrowing tale about how, how McGillney got to the, uh, to the national hockey league. This one's right there too. Like I can only imagine. First of all, both of them very young, and I can imagine you know Peter Klima being very, you know, um, you know, worried about his his then girlfriend, future wife, and then that sidebar. Like to be honest with you, I don't know how this has been made into some type of hockey documentary already. Like well, I'm listening it, to this, it, I'm, it, I'm getting it, texts from it, people it, listening saying, like, "This is cool. this is fascinating." Well, it's the it's the it's the, uh, it's, it's it is in the in the Netflix documentary Russian Five. Because, you know, when I was interviewed for the pretty significantly on the Russian Five documentary, which was really fabulous, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they they ask us, well, how did you how did you do, you know, Fedorov and 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 Konstantinov and Kozlov? I said, well, we cut our teeth on Peter Klima. It was much more complicated to get Klima out of the Czech Republic in 1985 than it was to get Fedorov and Konstantinov and Kozlov out of Russia in 1991. It was just different. Um, you know, this, we had to go to Europe to do this. We did pretty much all of the Russians, um, you know, by remote control, you know, in North America, pretty much <laughs> on, on the Russians. There was still intrigue involvement and a whole lot of negotiation going on. And we tried to deal with it legitimately with the Russian Federation before we, we, we yeah. went, you know, and did it without their, without their uh, consent. Um, but it was much, it was much more business transactions than it was, Nick and I were staying away from home for five weeks while we're running around with, with a bunch of smugglers and, you know, kind of career criminals. Um, quite frankly, at, you at, know. At, at any at any point at any point, Jim, did you think that you and Nick were going to be in a lot of trouble here? Well, I was, was scared. I can tell you, when, that, that at the point of Peter jumping in the car, he crawled out of the window of the restaurant, the the men's room in the restaurant, got back uh, to the to the place where they were staying, which was basically a hostel. Okay, it's like a multi-room rooming house, and got his stuff, um, and got in the car. And in that, however long that took, half an hour, um, I was scared to death. Quite frankly, I mean, you know, like for sure. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not trained in any of this. I'm not a military guy. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, the owner's son. I'm the owner's son-in-law. Okay, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm 30, and I, and I'm 32 years old. So. And I got a brand new one-year-old daughter at home. So, you know, like, it's just, uh, you yeah. know, but, but again, and people say, what was it like? It was one of the most fascinating, intriguing, exhilarating, fun experiences of my life. And it, and it allowed the Red Wings to excel because we, we, because of our, we had confidence when we went to the draft table to start taking Russians that, 
you know, I would I was at the table when we drafted Fedorov, and I remember Jimmy D saying to me, "You can get him out, right? Because this is a fourth round pick. It was the highest any Russian had ever been taken in the draft when we drafted Jordy Fedorov." Mm-hmm. And uh, I said yes, and you know that led to the story that's that's documented in the Russian five. So we've had you know movie guys who called and wanted to like talk about this. Uh, you know, had Peter become a more significant NHL player? He was, he was a very good player, don't get me wrong. But had he, had he become what Fedorov was? Yeah. You know, or Konstantinov yeah. was? Which were stars. Um, Slava, Kavla. I, you know, uh, the story would probably be bigger and more significant. Um, but, yeah. you know, it just, uh, it, 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 it was a, just a, a cool time. And, you know, now thinking back to, geez, 38 years later, um, you know, it's and it, the, the sad thing was is, is Peter, it, it, the story comes up because Peter passed, which is was shocking to me. I yes. my son who scouts for the scouts for the stars sent me the um, he's on the road up in Quebec and he Sam sent me Sam White sent me the uh, uh, the piece you know the, the the blurb out of the out of the Canadian media and um, you know it was uh, you know shocking quite frankly because you know Peter was a pretty robust guy and he played a long time. He, played, he was playing in the Czech Republic, I think, yeah. almost a 40, I believe. Um, well, he was, you know, t- two, two months ago, he played in this uh, Legends game at O2 Arena with, like, old, old Czech legends. Like, uh, up until a couple of months ago, he was still, like, he's not playing competitive you know, hockey four or five games a week, but he's still he's still out there playing with the legends. Is it, is it he, as if he, you know, retired the act and hung up the skates? He was still playing. I, I haven't heard uh, what happened. I'm just curious. I, I mean, don't know. You know what, Jim? Okay. I don't know. It's funny too because I, th- I think I think I mean everyone that I've talked to in the last 24 hours says the same thing. Do you know what happened? Like there have been people that I spoke with who said, you know, uh, a couple of months ago he said he was he was sick or he wasn't feeling well, but but nobody nobody's been able to as as I've seen. Um, no one's come up with the uh, with uh, with, uh, with the cause of death other than he was he was found in his house. Yeah, I don't know. I, so I, I haven't, I haven't I've heard asked, that. I've asked everybody. I thought you guys might know. So I'll, I'll give you here's no, a here's a good anecdotal story for for real hockey nerds. Sure. So I uh, I was gone from the Stars for a few years, and I came back when Tom Gallardi bought the team. Uh, our Vancouver-based owner um, bought yep. the Stars in 2011. Uh, Tom invited me back to be the president of the team again. I'd I'd missed the bankruptcy years uh, at the end of Mr. Hicks's reign anyway. Um, I came back and I run into a guy introduces himself to me at the offices, literally the first week I'm back because we had some scouting meetings and it was, uh, Yuri Herdina and Yuri Herdina had been, nice player. Yuri Herdina had been hired by the stars as their Czech scout, uh, in, uh, Joe Neuendijk had hired him when Joe was the general manager. So Joe was still the general manager when I got the job, this is pre Jim Mill. And, um, uh, Yuri introduces himself to me and said, Jim, guess what? I go, well, Yuri, what? He said, I was at the table the night Klima uh, crawled out the window. <laughs> I was on the Czech, Nas- I was on the Czech national team there when he defected and got in your car. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I said, how about, uh, how did, you know, what, did you, what were you thinking at the time? He said, well, we knew he was gone. He said, they've given us all one beer. And he said, Peter would be the first guy to chug a beer down. We looked down, and all the beers were empty except one. His. (laughs) 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 We knew he was gone. This is. Yeah. 
Oh wow, uh, Jim! This this is such a listen. I, I I to your to your previous point. I wish this was, there was a there was a better reason why we were why I was talking to you here today about about Peter Klima. But uh, but nonetheless, Jim, like thanks so much for coming on with me today. Oh, for this sure. This has been uh, a lot of fun and re- really eye opening. And listen, on a, on a Dallas Stars note, you know, congratulations on the win last night. Um, you know how good this this team is, and I, I know how proud you are of this Dallas Stars squad. Good luck the rest of the way with the Kraken and, yeah, and wherever Dallas ends Yeah, up I think in we're, the we're 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 in pretty good shape. We're, we're feeling good about it, so all good. But yeah, you are league. It's, it's uh, you got a nice, so. you got a really good goaltender there. You got a really good goaltender there, Jim. That, yeah, uh, and a really that, good defenseman. If you watch uh, Miro Heiskanen and play, he, he is on oh, yeah. I'm, I'm always shocked how little respect he gets. Uh, uh, in in both the U.S. and Canada, quite frankly, because he is about as good as it gets. I mean, not score with the way other guys do, but nobody's better than he is controlling the, the pace of the game. Um, and, you know, we'll just yeah. thank God for the lottery, you guys. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> he, Haskinen, uh, is elite. Uh, Jim, thanks so, a lot for coming on with me today. I, thanks, I, I, really I really appreciate, appreciate that. I know you're really busy. Thanks so much for this. Oh, thanks, for sure. Jim Lights is the uh, wow is the chairman of the Dallas Stars, who just took half an hour out of his day to talk about the story of getting Peter Klima away from the Czech national team in 1985. And by the way, that's why Peter Klima wore 85 in the NHL. That was his his moment of freedom. Uh, he escaped from behind the Iron Curtain and made it to America, playing for the Dallas or the uh, Detroit Red Wings, and that's why he wore 85. Um, listen, we think of Yager wearing 68. 68 is when, you know, the tanks rolled in, the Soviet tanks uh, down the cobblestone streets in uh, Prague, and that's why he always wore the, the number 68. Klima always wore 85, signaling his freedom um, in America. What a great story. All right. Deep breath. And there's more to that story, too. There's when he got to North America, the friendship with Bob Probert, um, you know, all the all the drama both on and off the ice uh, going through the NHL with uh, with Peter Klima. There's still a lot, a lot there. Um, thanks to Jim Lights for stopping by. I want to take a couple of seconds here and congratulate the man playing the keyboards back at Master right now. And that is Lance Kennedy. Uh, I've known Lance geez, for years. Um, and today he celebrates his 20th anniversary at the Fan 590. Uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan, is, uh, I know, thrilled to have him. Uh, he's one of our, our senior operators. He makes every show better and has been doing so for 20 years. He's worked with everybody from you know Roger Lajoie to Stormin Norman Rumack, uh, the Late Night Vampire, to Chuck Swirsky, to uh, Jeff Blair and Jack Armstrong and Doug McLean and Eric Smith and Doug Faraway and Tim and Sid and Bunkus and Ennis. And man, he's uh, he's done all of it. And he'll tell you his favorite is working with me. No, that's a joke. Uh, Lance, congratulations, buddy. Uh, you've earned your beer. Uh, you've earned a sandwich. Take a bow. 20 years at the fan. And we are all better for it. Thank you, Lance.